Once upon a time, three movie fans went to college and took film classes. After graduating, they were each hired for very boring day jobs. But I took them away from all that, and now they podcast for me. My name is Charlie. Good morning, morning, Charlie. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. This is going to be long, hard, and rough. Sometimes when it's rough, I just get there fast. Listener discretion is advised. When we get started this millennium... Today we're discussing Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, starring Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, Bernie Mac, Crispin Glover, Justin Thoreau, Robert Patrick, and Demi Moore, directed by Mick G. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, but I think I'm going to go by Mick Grumpy for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) This is Marjorie. And this is the co-host who was never good. I'm great. Jacob. Talking about things that were never good. (laughs) Back to Charlie's Angels. Where were you when this came out in 2003? I know, Marjorie, you and I were fans of the first film, so... I wouldn't call us fans. I mean, we we saw it, and it was entertaining, but I'm not out buying Charlie's Angels merchandise. I mean, I like the TV show. I bought the DVD, watched the movie multiple times, and the soundtrack was in constant rotation in my car. (laughs) But... I was excited for Charlie's Angels, too. I'm like, that movie was a lot of fun. I did buy the soundtrack for this one before even seeing the movie. Pink had just broke it onto the scene with I'm Coming Up, and she had a single on this one that I was really enjoying. It would be the last Pink song I actually like. (laughs) And so opening weekend, we were there full throttle. And yeah, I went to that first one. I was dragged there by family. Wouldn't have been my choice. This was a summer film. We get together like 4th of July weekend, maybe. So this was not 4th of July weekend. I was not dragged by family, so I did not go see this. I have never seen it. This is my first time. Oh, aren't you in for a treat? I was told that Crispin Glover was even better a couple weeks ago by you, Marjorie. That's what gave me hope. And oh boy, those hopes are going to be dashed. He was the bright spot in this movie. Yes, he's the only spot. (laughs) Well, in the years between, these three people really had their star on the rise, though. I mean, Cameron Diaz had become a star. This movie would be coming out right about the same time as Gangs of New York, which she was horrible in. Awful. (laughs) But it shows the level of prestige her name started carrying. Drew Barrymore had continued making and producing a string of hits. And Lucy Liu actually had to start filming this late because she was finishing up Kill Bill. Yeah, she was working with a director who respected good wire foo and (laughs) and choreography. And Lucy Liu beat Demi Moore at the MTV Movie Awards for Best Villain. Yes, her Kill Bill role beat Demi's Charlie's Angels role. Ow! Wow, I want to beat everyone in this film. (laughs) And that was supposed to be Demi Moore's, like, big thing, wasn't it? Ah, yeah, that was the press for this movie was Demi Moore everywhere. This was like a big comeback for her? Yes, it was, because in 1996, Demi Moore held a record for the highest paid actress in movies. Then came G.I. Jane. Yeah, I've seen G.I. Jane. Take that credit away from her. And Striptease. 
she had not really acted since 1997. She was in two movies that year, G.I. Jane, and then a Woody Allen film, Deconstructing Harry, which I've seen that movie several times, and I don't remember her in it, so it must be a smaller part. And she apparently had something in 2000 called Passion of Mind. But what really happened was she and Bruce broke up in the early 2000s. Oh, Oh, so they weren't married for this one. No. I I was wondering, because, yeah, he shows up here. I'm like, is that because they were married? Has she moved on to Ashton yet? She was with the rebound guy before Ashton. A martial arts instructor, Oliver Whitcomb, who isn't even worthy of a IMDb page. And she didn't learn anything from him for this film. Yeah, they broke up in 2002. This film came out in 2003. I'm guessing Whitcomb looked at the wire foo of Charlie's Angels 1 and is like, I just can't even sleep with somebody who is going to participate. I have never been more on John Woo's side <laughs> after seeing this film and hearing his criticism of the first. Like, I don't like your movies, really, John Woo, but I am on your side. I forgive you for Mission Impossible 2. They're going to call out Mission Impossible 2 here. Oh, I know. I, I think they're going to call out John Woo, which is crazy after seeing this film. Probably because Woo gave them some shit after the first film. Here they are trying to give it back. I'm just going to say it right now. I know I'm the only one who recommended it, but Mission Impossible 2 is a much better film than Charlie's Angels (laughs) Full Throttle. 100% agree. If these are the only two films in the world, strongest have recommends for Mission Impossible 2. (laughs) But forget about Mission Impossible. Arnie, tell us the plot for Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Forget about Mission Impossible. You just gave me an impossible mission. I mean, we're going to have the knock list in this film. I guess we can't forget about it too much. This plot. Good luck, (laughs) because I don't understand how we get to certain set pieces in this film. Here's what it is. It's almost exactly the same as part one, just the villain is a girl. Kind of. Now, before I do my plot summary, I'm just going to say I did listen to the McGee commentary for this movie. God, why? Because I needed the commentary track for the visually impaired because he'll just describe everything that's going on on screen. And it actually made a couple things clearer. That's not good for filmmaking. No. But then I also listened to the writer's commentary. Never have I heard such a trio of passive aggressive people (laughs) as those who sit there and go, well, that used to make sense on the page. And then they took this out. (laughs) No, I was so confused by this movie. All week I've been looking forward to your plot summary so I could try to connect some of these set pieces together. All right, here we go. Charlie's Angels are back in action. We have returning Cameron Diaz as Natalie Cook, Drew Barrymore as Dylan Sanders, and Lucy Liu as Alex Monday. When the movie begins, the three rescue Robert Patrick's character, a U.S. Marshal named Ray Carter, from Mongolians. They kidnapped him to get his ring. Why his ring? That ring is half of the Halo system used by U.S. Marshals to keep secret the location of everyone in the Witness Protection Program. Or as Jacob said, basically the knock list for the Witness Protection. But the second ring belonged to a Justice Department agent played by Bruce Willis, briefly, because he shot in the head and killed. Now both rings are loose, and people in the Witness Protection Program who testified against the O'Grady mob are turning up dead. The Angels go through a series of set pieces to sleuth who is behind the plot. They find an assassin named Randy Emmers, played by Rodrigo Santoro. He's planning to kill his next target at a motocross event. The Angels go to try and save the target, who's a teenager named Max, played by Shia LaBeouf. Max had testified against the O'Grady's. The Angels actually don't succeed, but Max has a guardian angel of his own, the thin man from the last movie played by Crispin Glover. 
follow me on this. Yeah, please. This is where I get really confused. <laughs> Max was an orphan who grew up at the same orphanage where the Thin Man grew up. And because the Thin Man, I guess, feels a kinship, he is the benefactor that is keeping that orphanage going. He is going to look out for Max. He's like Batman for every orphan there? Yes. Oh, okay. Go on, Arnie. Max ends up in the care of Bosley. Not John Bosley, but Jimmy Bosley, John's brother, played by Bernie Mac. Bosley takes Mac to Mama Bosley's house in South Central to hide him from the O'Grady killers. But since Emmers is dead, a new assassin is on the loose, Seamus O'Grady, played by Justin Thoreau. But Seamus also has a personal grudge against his ex-girlfriend, Dylan. See, Dylan isn't her real name. Her name was Helen Zass. <laughs> if you find that funny, you might go Green Arrow on this. Zass dated Seamus, but when she saw him kill a man in cold blood, she testified against him and went into witness protection herself. Now Seamus is out to get the rings, but also to get revenge on Dylan. During all of this, Nat has moved in with her boyfriend Pete, played by Luke Wilson, and is afraid he's going to propose. Alex is on a break from movie star boyfriend Jason Gibbons, played by Matt LeBlanc, and Alex is visited by her father, played by John Cleese, who's unaware that his daughter is a detective. The angels break into Seamus's warehouse and get the rings, but Seamus tells Dylan he will kill all the angels. To save them, she goes to Mexico to hide out. But at the very first bar she goes to, she finds former angel Kelly Garrett, played by Jacqueline Smith, who inspires Dylan to go back to the angels. And Dylan realizes who the mastermind behind the plot is, a fallen angel named Madison Lee, played by Demi Moore, who has to be the villain, otherwise her appearance in Act 1 makes no sense. Lee was fired from Charlie's Angels due to her recklessness, so she planned this crime as revenge. The Angels interrupt Madison's sale of the rings to mob leaders, and a major fight breaks out. When Dylan starts to lose a fight with Seamus, the Thin Man comes to her aid. See, he loves her, so he kisses her and rips off some of her hair. She seems to be into the hair thing until he's stabbed through the back by Seamus and falls off the roof. Dylan gets revenge by killing Seamus, kicking him off that same roof. The angels team up against Madison Lee, who dies when she falls through the floor into an explosion because everything in this movie is combustible. The angels reunite with Bosley and Max at the premiere of Jason's new movie, Maximum Extreme 2. There, Alex starts dating Jason again, and Nat finds out Pete doesn't want to get married, he just wants to get a puppy. And we don't even get to see the puppy. I feel like that's a puppy tease. Part 3. And the three angels stay together for many more adventures that we'll never see as credits roll. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> you know, I recommended that first film pretty strongly. And I think you can tell from the plot summary, I'm going to go a different way with this one. So the question really is, when you have so many of the same elements, the writers came back, McGee came back. Barrymore's producing, same stars. I mean, Jacob, even though you didn't recommend the last one, you've got to see... No, oh, there is a huge difference in quality, and that was one of the things... Like, the other one I just kind of watched in contempt, and every once in a while I'm like, oh, Sam Rockwell's dancing. Okay, this film's all right. <laughs> you know, then they do some more stupid jokes. This one, I was screaming at the television almost the entire time. I mean, this is like 15 minutes longer than the last film. I was hoarse by the end of it, like just enraged. It's really a mystery to me where it all went wrong. And the one thing the writers said in their commentary that gives me an inkling of where to place blame is 
at the man I'm going to now call Mick Garbage. (laughs) (laughs) That's got to be what the G stands for. (laughs) (laughs) Because he apparently came pretty late to the first Charlie's Angels film, and it was his first film he'd been a director of music videos before that. Strong visual style, didn't have a lot of say in the plot and everything. That explains why that film and this one is just like hit after hit after hit. Like, I guess that was his outlook. Like, I'll just make an hour and a half long music video. Which works for me if he picks good songs and he has taste in music that seems to align with my own. Yeah, we'll get some Rob Zombie or White Zombie as they were back then. Prodigy Returns. But here, he was involved from day one. And... The three writers who were discussed, there were two different writing teams. I believe these were the credited writers. Then McGee had some uncredited rewrites occur. Scenes were put back in. Scenes were cut. Lines were cut to the point that the writers are trying to explain what meant to happen instead of what you actually got in this movie. So I look at this. The actresses don't seem to be giving as good a performance The story is a mess. There's too many characters as the plot summary bears out. I just got to blame Mick Garbage. We're going to get three or four musical numbers, just like dance numbers throughout the film. So much feels like filler. I'm shocked there's a script. It feels like, hey, ladies, just improv and shake your butts and try to say funny things and we'll make it work in post. That's, I think, pretty much Mick G's directing style. Yes. I look at films similar to what you're describing, Jacob, and I if the writers hadn't been on the commentary, I'd be like, was there a writer strike? Did they just have to make it up as they went? But when the film starts, it starts right into some action, some decent visuals, a big set piece in Mongolia. Decent visuals. Okay, this is before they go on the dam. <laughs> I'm guessing you're saying. I'm talking about the color palette where... It was Drew Barrymore's in red. Yeah, and everything else around her is earth tone. She's really popping out. She's kind of playing that Indiana Jones scene. Oh, kind of. I knew where this was going. Like, yeah, we'll see Alex and she's doing her thing. And then we cut to a Mongolian like doing shots. I'm like, okay, so we're just going to do Indiana Jones now. That is the entire joke. If you've seen that movie, I don't know how many 12-year-olds that would enjoy this film at the time had seen it. And we talk about bad special effects, but you mentioned how Alex gets in there. There are some good special effects here. They had a contortionist come out of that box. And then when she does the hair whip, you don't notice, I don't notice, that it is changing shots. It appears to be one continuous shot. No, then it's Lucy Liu, who does not able to bend enough to get in that box. (laughs) I just assumed it wasn't her. Were you fooled by this until you saw this? I was pretty impressed that we see in one smooth motion the person come out of the box, turn around, and it's Lucy Liu. And I just get upset that McGarbage here, you know, we talked about he's going for this Scorsese thing in the last film with this big, long tracking shot. And it's kind of fun on the airplane as you're seeing all these different people, like the couple going into the bathroom and the, and the flight attendant acting all nice and then turning all bitchy when LL Cool J turns his back. Like, that was all kind of fun. little. And like, here he's doing it. I'm like, why do you have these ambitions, McGee? Do something simple because it's distracting now. And I don't like these people. I don't like the jokes that you're having them tell. Yeah, it just all comes off different this time where it's kind of cute the first time now it's weird it's like a mirror universe where it just doesn't work i'm not too bitter during this opening scene and when cameron diaz comes in as the swedish tourist this is hostile yeah and rides the mechanical yak well why do they even have that is that something big in mongolia that we stole we we appropriated their culture with the <laughs> bull they appropriated our culture <laughs> they saw the westerns they saw john wayne and they turned it into a yak 
I mean, that's a joke, Marjorie, that they would have a mechanical yak slash bull to ride because it's a bar. I mean, it makes no sense that a Swedish tourist would come in and immediately jump on the mechanical yak, but with the short skirt and everything, she's obviously a diversion, and it's working, and to me, this does seem to have the feel of the first movie, as they're trying to rescue Robert Patrick's character, Ray Carter, who is being held hostage and interrogated there. Has Robert Patrick ever played a good guy? I guess in X-Files, he was kind of a good guy when he was the FBI agent who replaced Mulder. But other than that, he's almost always a bad guy in film. I guess I haven't seen that many films that he's done. Yeah, what else has he? Like Terminator 2, that's it. He was the dad in Walk the Line who was an asshole. And he was the mean coach in the faculty who became an alien. Never seen that movie. I will give you this, Arnie. I'm not that enraged at this point with this film. Yeah, this does feel like a continuation of what we talked about with the 2000 Charlie's Angels. They're kind of just doing the same thing at this point. And I felt like this would be kind of like the last movie, the James Bond type opening, where we're just going to get an action set piece to introduce us to the angels. This one is literally James. I don't know. It's they're going off damn. So I'm just thinking of Goldeneye. Yeah, but this actually is the start of the plot. Robert Patrick here is going to say, I forgot my ring, and this whole movie is going to be about chasing rings. And of course, they're seen by the Mongolians because, again, I think they're taking the Indiana Jones thing. Remember the monkey in Indiana Jones? Here we have a bird that's going to alert all the Mongolians to the interloper. This was legit my favorite part. Like when that bird, I'm like, good acting by the bird. Best actor in this film. (laughs) But... We're going to get this major, I dare not call it a stunt, because nobody stunted. Awful, (laughs) awful, birdemic level green screen. I take everything, all my complaints about the green screen in the last film, I take it back, and I give it to this one. Awful, horrendous looking. All right, I'm thinking about you in this scene, though, Jacob, because I'm looking at this scene, and my thought is, all right, A, this is ridiculous. They're falling off a dam. They're in free fall. They stole a truck with a helicopter. The helicopter's in free fall, and they're going to dive into it. But then I thought, but Jacob, he loves the parachuting tank in the A-Team, and this is that level of ridiculous. I went through this existential crisis watching this film because I'm like, look, Crank 2? Love that movie, one of my favorites, and that's about a dude with no heart running around for an hour and a half. It looks good, though. Like, you had stunt guys directing that film. A-Team, it looks good. It doesn't look this bad. It's Again, I say Birdemic, I say Sharknado. (laughs) It is of that quality, and that is my problem. Look, tank versus race cars in Fast and the Furious. Fast and Furious cars flying from skyscraper to skyscraper. Fine, as long as it looks good. Like, I love that over-the-top stuff. Here, it just looks so bad, I cannot take it seriously. I kind of feel like the action scenes were written by a 13-year-old girl on what would just look cool. I do think that a lot of it was what will look cool. And I don't have a problem with that. A lot of, you call them guilty pleasure, whatever, just films I like. Like some of those Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw, ridiculous. Yes, a a 14-year-old boy wrote that script and just came up with the craziest stunt scenes. I'm all in. Make it look good, though. Yeah, and see, I feel that a lot of it was set up to make the actresses look good physically, and it didn't matter if it was realistic 
appropriate. But if they could get like a really great shot. Yeah, have their hair flipped the right way in the wind. And again, my problem isn't that they drive off of a cliff in a big truck that has a helicopter in the back. And then they like jump out and they're floating through the air and they get in the helicopter. Great. Love those ideas. Make it look good. It is that it looks so poorly. Again, the writer's commentary was perhaps the best research I did for this. They were talking about how fake some of this looked. And the reason some of this looks fake, because they actually shot on location for a lot of this movie. And most of this movie looks like green screen to me. Did they shoot on location at the green screen factory? (laughs) Yes, they shot on location at the green screen factory. That's what they meant. They didn't go to Mongolia. I don't think they went to Mexico for the uh, 30 seconds they spend there. Well, they went to the Griffiths Observatory and... Uh, That's just down the road! Yeah, and it looks fake! It doesn't even look like they're there, and the writers explained why. Okay, I want to hear this. McGee in post pumped up the saturation of the colors of the sky to the point that it doesn't even look like the people are actually standing there. It's almost, but not quite... Zack Snyder sucker punch level of artificiality. Don't make me defend Zack Snyder sucker punch. That at least looks like it's stupid and it's the same aesthetic, but it looks good. Did he know it looked bad or did he think this looked good? I can't speak for McGarbage. (laughs) I feel like this is like McGee's dissertation and we're here just to tear it up. Why did they give him Terminator after this film? As far as I'm concerned, Terminator ended after T2. Until a few weeks from now. My bet is it still ended with T2. Yeah. (laughs) And then we're going to get from the television series again, our seeing the three angels before they were angels, including a very disgusting calf birthing on Cameron Diaz. Yeah, again, this movie is 15 minutes longer. I thought, oh, okay, so they're just going to recap. This is like the opening credits to the Charlie's Angels TV show. No, these are new scenes and they go on longer. They do go on a little bit too long. They did include one of the cut scenes from the last one. When you get to see Cameron Diaz and Drew Barrymore in the men's room, that was cut from the first film. But otherwise, these are all just scenes they set up. The car wash and the car explosion and the monster truck rally, all just for this little montage. And then we cut into the actual plot where the helicopter's coming in with the Department of Justice and another McGarbage style problem hits me. Everything is blue except for the American flag, which has red and white stripes. Everything is in this blue pallor. He is going to do this inconsistently. We're going to have one scene that's all red, one scene that's all blue. I was wondering what was up with that. I'm like, what is with this mood lighting? Like, yeah, at one point they're doing whatever they consider forensics in this film. Like, at one point they're going to, like, analyze bird shit, and I was waiting for Cameron Diaz to, like, stick it in her mouth, because why not with this film? I think she did. She did taste it. Okay, maybe I missed that part because I was just screaming so loud at the TV. But I thought, I'm like, oh, is this a parody of CSI? Is that what they're going for? With this mood lighting, which is like hilarious whenever you watch those crime investigative shows on TV. It's like, no, they just turn on the lights. They don't have it dark with like a spotlight on one person. So I'm like, is that the style? But then they just do it throughout randomly. I guess because McGee just wanted to do it. I'd call it a style if it was consistent. It's an aberration when it occurs because it draws so much attention to itself. This blue scene is the scene where we get to see Bruce Willis, best actor in this movie. (laughs) I don't know. I'm still pulling for that bird. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I agree. I remember being shocked Bruce Willis was not credited in this movie and seeing him there. 
Do you think Bruce Willis saw a rough cut of this film and said, oh, I want to go uncredited. I don't want people to know I'm in this movie. No, I think it was actually a SAG thing. He did it in exchange for the Angels doing a PSA for adoption. So it was a charity thing he did. And I think it was because this is Demi's comeback. And Demi and Bruce, despite splitting up, have remained close, not just for the kids. I remember seeing the roast of Bruce Willis on Comedy Central and Demi came out and gave him some shit. I mean, the two of them have remained friends. So I think he did this to help support his ex returning to the spotlight. Well, that was nice of him. Too bad this film's going to do her no favors. But he's here because he's got the other half of the knock list. He has another ring. And this is all we'll see of him as a gold gun goes to his head. <laughs> yes, indeed. You are seeing Demi Moore, although we're not supposed to know it yet, kill Bruce Willis on screen. I wonder if she showed up, even though you don't see her. Just a little bit of that revenge fantasy when he got a divorce. <laughs> Let's use my real hand for this shot. I'll hold that gun. <laughs> yeah, and those two rings together form the halo system or the knock list for everyone in witness protection. I think that somebody really wanted the acronym HALO with Hidden Alias List Operation. I've been in projects before where we're like, we're going to call this project Phenom. Now let's come up with words that fit those letters. That's always how it works. <laughs> but that was going to be the title of the movie. It was going to be Charlie's Angels HALO. I guess McGarbage somewhere along the line decided full throttle sounded hipper or cooler or rad. This was the time of extreme sports, though. Mountain Dew, Doritos, Extreme Sports. Throughout this, we see this mysterious dark-haired woman. The Mongolian makes a phone call to some shirtless guy who's talking to a dark-haired woman, and then a dark-haired woman with a gold gun shoots Bruce Willis. But let me give this film another compliment. I'm going to scrape to give them where I can. Yeah. I mean, I know they played Tone Loke early on. Uh, you would probably compliment that. Are you going to compliment Hammer Time? First of all... Cameron Diaz does a really impressive hammer dance. Really, really impressive. But that's not where I was going. <laughs> okay. Oh I had a complaint about the last film that the characters really were static. They didn't have an arc. The arcs were all for the bad guys, and the angels just merely were actors in that story, but they didn't transform as people. Here... The writers, McGarbage, somebody tried to fix that by giving each of the angels their own personal arcs. And we're starting off with this hammer dance. The arc for Natalie is going to be she's moving in with her boyfriend, Luke Wilson, Pete. And how serious is she going to get? And is she still going to be an angel if she's a mother? And I'll agree with you, Artie. Like, this is what baffles me about this film. It's got better character arcs like this actually yeah you told a story with the angels and they have a conflict and they have worries and like i get dylan's character more in this one except everything around it's total garbage it's got a better spine but everything else is garbage that is the perplexing thing about this film like if i'm looking at story beats yeah this one's constructed a little bit better as far as those arcs go i think natalie has a very solid arc it's perfunctory. It is given very little time, but it is a through line of the film that we're going to have people talking about Natalie and Natalie overhearing things out of context. And is she going to be proposed to? Dylan is going to have her own arc here. She's going to become central to the plot. Alex is going to have jokes. Alex starts off here at the beginning. She's on a break with her boyfriend. Is that a reference to Ross and Rachel? We were on a break. That's all I could think of. Yeah, because it's Matt LeBlanc. Guys, friends, remember that? I feel that is the depth of the joke. But here he's like, we're on a break, but can't we still hook up? 
I mean, she is going to have jokes around her, but I don't see Alex as having any kind of an arc in this film. And her dad thinks she's a hooker. That's the extent of her character arc. And he never thinks otherwise. No. Father, father, or adopted father? Father, father. Okay, so I guess she's got an Asian mom. There's a brief shot, blink and you miss it, you get to see Alex with her dad and her mom, and her mom's an Asian, and her dad isn't. Okay, I wasn't blinking, but I was probably screaming. I mean, is, it, is this the make or break point for you, Jacob, on this? I mean... No, it's just another of many points of confusion for me along this journey. McGee said it would be funny for people to try to imagine what the mother would be that would produce this child with John Cleese. I mean, just uh, Asian with dominant genes. <laughs> I mean, that's biology. That, that's not a big mystery. In fact, we can just, let's just talk about John Cleese so we don't have to again. <laughs> I love John Cleese. I think he's a great actor. A Fish Called Wanda is a film I really like. Yet here, I feel really bad because this or absolutely anything, I can't decide which of those two movies is the worst waste of having John Cleese involved. Absolutely anything was a direct-to-video Simon Pegg movie where Robin Williams plays the voice of his dog. I kind of feel like John Cleese was in this movie kind of to connect with a different generation because he's our parents' actor. Yeah, John Cleese, I love Monty Python, love him in that. But lately, I guess no one should go on Twitter, but if you must, he's just become a grumpy baby boomer. Like, you millennials, oh, you've ruined England. Like, I wonder if this was the start of that. Like, just so bitter having to be in this film. Like, this is what turned him into that because, yeah. He voted for Brexit because of this film. But yes, we have that scene here before we come in. And this film is a slew of cameos, I guess. It's just bits. This whole film is bits. Well, McGarbage was working on some of the video stuff with Tarantino on Jackie Brown. And so he had a Robert Forrester's phone number and got him to play the director of the FBI. And that's the scene where Forrester is talking all about the rings and explaining what they are. That we see our new Bosley because... There is no way Bill Murray was going to return to this. Yeah, and you know what? I was excited. I like Bernie Mac. Um, I guess they didn't pay him enough or something. Like, he's just reading those jokes that they gave him because none of them are funny. Like, he's not doing his Bernie Mac thing. He's not afraid of danger because he dated fat women. Really? That's your joke? And midgets, right? Didn't he say midgets too? Yeah, it's anything obvious. There's a joke about it. I think that's just Bernie Mac. This is his shtick. No, you watch his stand-up. I guess you can't have that kind of edge in a PG-13 movie. No. Let me split the difference here. Per G, this is all Bernie Mac coming up with his own bits, and he told Bernie Mac to play it to the limit, and you can actually, G points out a couple times where the angels break character because they can't stop from laughing. But I side with Jacob, Bernie Mac's usually a lot funnier than this. This is making Bernie Mac's car salesman scene in Transformers look good. And he had a stereotypical black mama there, too. Perhaps Shia LaBeouf, like, sucks all the energy out of every scene he's in. <laughs> no, this is young Shia. He's still good. This Shia doesn't bother me. This is coming right off of Holes. Holes was the same year as this. At this point... He was primarily known for Even Stevens and had a very big tween Disney following. So I think he's here for that, to bring in that audience. If John Cleese is for the dads, Shia's for the teen girls who may not be enticed by the promise of Jiggle. But, I mean, Bernie Mac, if you watch the deleted scenes, there is, and it's even in the credits a little bit, Melissa McCarthy returns as a new character. I don't remember seeing her in the film, but I definitely noticed her during that blooper reel. If you watch... Carefully, 
when they're going into that red house to do the crime examination, you can see her standing behind the police line. And she and Bernie Mac had some riffing there that was a lot of both of them just trying to be funny and ad lib. And McGee ended up saying it just extended the scene too long, so it got cut. But yes, she was going to be here as well. And you can glimpse her in the final film. And then, yeah, in the bloopers at the end. But there's silliness here that I understand the last movie was lighthearted, but I don't feel it was a farce. Here, that cop outside of the house where they're doing the investigation, played by Andrew Wilson, Luke Wilson's brother, is like pulling the gun on the coroner and just overplaying everything. I mean, this film isn't even good enough for Owen Wilson. They got to get the brother no one's heard of. Yeah, I've never heard of this guy either. I had no idea. I had no idea there's a third Wilson brother. Neither did I until this movie. But to follow this story as convoluted as it is, so from this murder, they find pineapple sex wax, which they're going to go to a beach where a hurricane is coming, so all the best surfers will be there. <laughs> is that why they chose that beach? I know that beach very well. That's Point Doom. That's the beach my family goes to all the time when we go to the beach. There's no corn dog stand on there, but... And my wife was going crazy. She's like, oh, that sex wax. She's like that... Because her dad was a surfer, and he used that, so she's like, I would just sniff that stuff. She's like, it doesn't have a taste, though, just because they're calling it pineapple, so I think she wouldn't put that on IMDb as a goof. <laughs> Can't taste that pineapple sex wax. Bernie Mac licking surfboards is funny, but that's what takes them to the beach. And on the beach, we get introduced to two different characters. First, Cameron Diaz in a white bikini is approached by Demi Moore in a black bikini. So I know who the villain is now. I'm like, oh, Demi Moore's in this? Okay, she's the bad guy. There couldn't have been any more foreshadowing with this scene whatsoever. Former angel. Yeah, you know where it's going. I mean, especially because this is where they're going to set up Dylan's conflict is that, you know, they think Natalie's going to go away and, oh, Alex, she's going to get married and we'll get this again, another little bit where we see Dylan with different angels. You know, we'll get the Olsen twins. I, this may be the last film they ever showed up in. I don't know what happened to them. You're saying, okay, Dylan, she's worried. Oh, what's going to happen to the angels? And then we're seeing X-Angel here. And I'm like, okay, this, I know the storyline now. The biggest mistake this movie pulls, I think, is playing coy what could have worked better and i'm not saying that i'd like the movie a lot more but what if this was point breakish where she was an ex-angel but we knew she was the bad guy so we get to see more of more in this film because we see her here and she has a great exit i mean they give her the baywatch slow-mo running scene that's completely gratuitous and she gets in this car that McGee couldn't shut up about. He loves that car. It was the first time that car had ever reached American soil. It's a really good scene for a character we're not going to see again for an hour. Was it that long? I knew it was a while. It was 45 minutes to an hour before she comes back. Yeah, she may be in the shadow a few more times. Yeah, we see the dark-haired woman with the golden gun, but we're not supposed to know it's Demi. Otherwise, they show us her face. So I think it would have worked so much better if we'd gotten more of her so that we could have seen the plot underway. I mean, if you look at the last film, we thought Tim Curry was the villain and we got quite a bit of Tim Curry. And then when Sam Rockwell revealed himself, we got a lot of Sam Rockwell. We were constantly in with the villain. Here, there's this sleuthing that is truthfully 
I had to map it. You call this sleuthing? Like, they find Emmers, the surfer, and what, just go through his wallet and find a flyer so they know where the next set piece will take place? No, no, everything that they discover that they're sleuthing is handed to them on a silver platter. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. It's not sleuthing. And I'm going to say something that may be shocking coming from me, but for me, the titillation isn't even there because you get Natalie walking up to this guy as saying, when it's big like that, I just love to ride it hard and rough. The way I was getting pounded, I'm going to be wet for hours. That's almost trying too hard. Yeah. Yes. I liked it in the last one where some of the double entendres felt a little bit more subtle. We're going to get some of them that I prefer a little more when we talk about Helen's ass and asinine and things like that. But here, it's almost too blatant that nobody could think if they say they're going to be wet for hours after riding a big one hard and rough, nobody can think that's not sexual. There's not, that's not a double entendre. That's a porno. Yeah, and no one's commenting on it. That is the weird thing. Like, everyone just rolls with it. I don't know how to take anything. There's no barometer for what's supposed to be a joke and what's not. Because if you had people like, Natalie, you can't say that. Like, you would know people know that's inappropriate. I just don't even know how people are taking her. So I don't know how I'm supposed to gauge my reaction. And the writer said there needed to be a reason why this assassin didn't react to her at all. And they had two things that they'd pitched as ideas, neither of which happened. First... He is played by a Brazilian. They were going to have him get in and have English tapes. He doesn't speak English. He's trying to learn basic English. Okay, there you go. There's a joke. Or he gets in and he's gay. He calls his boyfriend. (laughs) Okay, I mean, it's a little more obvious, but okay, it's still... Okay, there are jokes. There's to tell me, like, why he's not reacting to this person just dropping porno lines. But yeah, as it is, McGee went with neither of those, and we have no idea. We're just going to follow this guy to a dirt bike race. Do not do set pieces if you cannot do credible stunts. Oh, this bike race. This was, first of all, completely unnecessary. They could have found a different way to bring in Shia LaBeouf. I think this is merely a vehicle so they can have Pink in a movie, and I want to say there's a reason why Pink's not in movies. She's not even Pink in this one. she got that black hair. Yeah, I know. She only had pink at the very beginning, you know, and then she had black hair for most of it. She just kept changing her hair. But there are superstar motocross people in the scene. And does anyone care except for like the very small motocross community? They had some of the best motocross people in the world wearing drag to (laughs) pretend to be the angels. And I saw a bonus feature with this guy's like, I'm not really happy about having to wear the breasts and the wig, but at least I got to meet Cameron Diaz. Hey, gay for that toxic masculinity. (laughs) Every time it has to do a close-up on one of these actresses' face, like after showing a stunt, it's so tight because they're not writing, they're not doing any of this. If you're not going to give us credible stunt pieces, like that's the point of having a stunt piece. That's why I go to see a Mission Impossible movie so I can see Tom Cruise as a 50-year-old dude really jumping off buildings. Like, that is exciting to me. Like, this, watching really bad green screen and then some really long-distance shots of people jumping on motorcycles, it's all unconvincing. It's not entertaining. I actually think that the motorcycle stunts are well done, and the problem is, again, we have real motocross people doing real jumps, but they look like they're all on a green screen because there's, like, a pixelation around them. What do you expect from the guy who directed Smash Mouth music videos? You know, it does have a walking on the sun kind of saturation. (laughs) Yep. But 
all of the people here have an outline around them that gives this this again with Zack Snyder I call it a style here I call it a mistake yeah no that I might not like a lot of Zack Snyder films but he's got a style and he's consistent and yeah here I don't know what the garbage was going for here it, and again the obviousness I'm waiting on like where's Crispin Glover he needs to come and save this film oh there's a guy in all black that's Crispin Glover, I bet. And yeah, it is. It's not a mystery. Mystery is how he survived being shot by a missile. <laughs> He's very talented. But okay, this is where the most annoying part of this movie starts to surface. Where they scream all the time, Dylan! Natalie! Alex! Like, as soon as someone like gets in trouble, the others are turning and screaming at them. And every single time that they kick somebody, punch somebody, they go, ah! They are so self-congratulatory over these awful kicks and punches they're throwing, yeah. Though they're not screaming as loud as I am throughout the film. <laughs> and, first of all, I feel like McGarbage is ripping off the Phantom Menace a little bit with the pod race because we got motocross people kicking each other and... Yeah, Pink is like, only one out of every four even finished the race. One of them pulls out a gun. At that point, <laughs> it's not a race. No. Crispin Glover's gonna have feet knives. And then... Every single bike that crashes, did they douse them in lighter fluid pre-race? It's the chips rule. So every time a car crashes, it has to go up in flames. It really is making me think of Team America with the superimposed explosions. It has become ridiculous. I mean, is this supposed to make me laugh that everything's blowing up or am I supposed to find it exciting? Because I'm just scratching my head. I'd actually find it more exciting to see a stuntman crash and roll than to see a bike get kicked and just turn into a CGI explosion. Yeah, it's not good. I literally couldn't count the number of explosions in this movie. If I had to watch it one more time, I'd probably be able to get a count. That's saying something, because I think you've watched every Michael Bay film. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, the thin man's bike crashes when he and Natalie rip each other's hair off. But why introduce Emmers just to kill him here and then introduce another assassin, Seamus? Is that not one henchman too many? This film is confusing. Look, I've refused to rewind to understand why one scene goes into the next with this movie. Like, it is not clear. Yeah, it's you have Emmers, and then you're going to have another dude that's bad, and I don't even know how we ended up there. Max here, Shia LaBeouf's character, is also pointless. He is a target for this one scene. Never again does anybody try to kill him. It's all about, oh, we got to hide him. We got to take him to Big Mama's house. Nobody's looking for him. And you're not going to get any funny black observation, white people observation jokes when he goes and hangs out with Bosley. Like, they can't even be entertaining on that level. Yeah, the funniest they can get is Bosley is bad at Clue, which is <laughs> ironic because he works at a detective agency. Yeah, but they're bad at Clue, too. I guess Bill Murray. We're going to see his picture on Mama Bosley's wall. So she adopted him, and the joke is they're going to adopt Shia LaBeouf here, Max, and he's going to grow up to be Bosley in Angels 3. Yes, I think that is the joke. It would have been funnier if they had a picture of Steve Martin, because he was born a poor black child. <laughs> <laughs> this is also where we find out about Helen Zass. Oh, my God. Seriously. If they were trying to make this like this big turning moment for her, where her past is coming to get her, don't give the character a name like Helen's ass. I mean, come on. Yeah, in, in Hobbs and Shaw, 
my cox. That is a one-time <laughs> joke, and you move on from there. Again, I had to confront all these things that I have found entertaining or funny in other films and really explore, because I want to be fair. I don't want to, like, go, well, this movie sucks because I hated the last one. Like, no, there's stuff that I have liked in other films that are similar to this, but, yeah, they just keep going on. And, like, if that is the big character reveal, you don't make it a joke. Now, I did have to look this up because it does seem like a joke, is Zass a real last name? Of course it is. It actually is. I In Chicago, you can find Marcus Zass. I would think that anything that you see is probably someone's last name. I just was wondering, because that is a funny last name to have. I would not want to go through grade school with the last name Zass, because no matter what your first name is, it's your butt. This is where we're going to find out Dylan's backstory. We find out her real name. Look... Drew Barrymore, if I got to pick one out of these three, she's my favorite, I guess, Angel, compared to Lucy Liu and Cameron Diaz. Like, yeah, I guess I'll pick Dylan, except Drew, you're stupid. You told me you're going to moonwalk in the last film, and then you just walked backwards. And then you told me you love heavy metal and recut to Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Yeah. That's a pop song. That is not heavy metal. McGee even said that people had given him crap about that in the movie. He just loves that song a lot. And so he wanted it in the movie. I really think that the only acts of violence committed during the Bon Jovi song are perhaps domestic violence involving like natural light and keystone. Or when you literally say, hold my beer. Because I don't think that's a song you go shoot somebody to. I'm not worshiping the devil to Bon Jovi. No, and I don't think that the Irish Mafia are big Bon Jovi fans. Is this supposed to be the late 80s? Is this 15 years earlier? I guess that would be somewhat age appropriate at that point drew barrymore would have been what 14 15 yeah i never know what the timeline is here because when we got those flashbacks to like the angels what they were like as kids we see alex doing gymnastics with the actual like u.s gymnastics coach i'm like okay so she's trying to be a 12 year old and then we see her playing an actual 12 year old in chess and she's like in the schoolgirl uniform but it's modern day lucy lou and i'm like what age are these people supposed to be I have no idea, but yes. And wouldn't it have been better? Anything, yes. I'm just going to say yes. I don't even have to hear what you're going to say. Yes, it would have been better. What if they go and they find this assassin at the motocross and <gasps> it's Seamus. Who's Seamus? All right, my real name is Helen Zass. Instead of she happens to be talking about Seamus at the same time Seamus is being released from prison. Yeah, we wouldn't get a Cape Fear joke or at least <laughs> reference though. Yeah, he readily says he was doing Cape Fear here. So it's not a ripoff. It's an homage. It's something. All right. Seamus is played by Justin Thoreau who cannot get a break. I looked up this guy. I mean, we talked about him in Mulholland Drive. You're in Star Wars for two seconds. He was in Star Wars? Yeah. Don't you remember in The Last Jedi? No. When they go to the casino planet, they're trying to get him, but then they end up. That's who they're supposed to get. We literally see him roll dice at a table once because he needs a paycheck. Apparently so, if he's just rolling dice. <laughs> I mean, he's in David Lynch films, but I don't know how much those pay. This is all taking place at the docks, and we know to go to the docks because they go to an orphanage, and I don't understand why they go to the orphanage. Why did they go here? Like, I'm so confused. More bad jokes. They're nuns, and they're playing, if you've seen the sound of music, they're not even playing like the hills are alive with the sound of music. They're playing the song that the kids sing when they're playing with the goat puppets. Yoda lady, yoda lady, yoda lady, hee hoo. Exactly, like... To Carrie Fisher. Why is she a nun? Is I, I don't know. Maybe I missed a nun movie she did. This is all a reference to the Blues Brothers. 
Uh, she wasn't a nun in the Blues Brothers. No, but the Blues Brothers went and saw a nun and did the scooch up in the desk thing. Ah, my brain is melting right now. This is like a schizophrenic person put this together. It's like, this person was in this movie and it had this element, so they'll do this and you're supposed to piece it all together. This is madness. If you listen, and it hurts to do so, it's explained they knew to go to the orphanage because they're following up on the thin man because of the necklace that Max told them came from the orphanage. Oh boy. And the orphanage is actually, they filmed it at the Playboy Mansion, which is why you've got a couple of kids looking at a Playboy at the orphanage. McGarbage said he really wanted Drew Barrymore's Playboy for that scene, but he couldn't get a copy. Okay, eBay existed. I'm sure he could have found one if he really needed it. I think it was like a last minute thing. Okay. So, okay, we'll get a little bit of a background, a supposed name for the Thin Man. They named him Anthony because he's a mute. Is that what's revealed here? He's like with the Romanian circus and ended up at this orphanage. Yep, and he's never spoken a word, but he has a hair thing and he still comes back for the odd haircut. And he's like the one like funding it still. Like, I didn't know he had so much money. Yeah, I don't know where he's getting the money, but... He fits right in with the angels because all he does is scream. <laughs> and apparently he gave Mother Superior a race car because McGee, I think, wanted to just write off every race car he could think of. And this is where, Jacob, you mentioned it. Yes, Natalie's going to taste the bird poop that takes them to the docks. Well, why is that bird poop there? Why is that car there? I, I, like, I was so lost, but I refused to rewind it. I'm like, no, this film, any movie has a duty to make sense, unless it's a David Lynch film. But you know, you know what I mean? Like, You should be able to have coherent storytelling, and I refuse to delve deep into this one and rewind it. Like, This should be a very simple plot, and it is garbage storytelling. Well, they're following the thin man. The thin man delivered the car. Where did the thin man get the car? The Thin Man's not working for O'Grady or with him, so, like, he's kind of an anti-hero good guy in this film. Okay, you're right. I can't figure this one out. I can't figure out why Bird Poop from the dock is on the car. I have a question, though. Did something happen in, like, in test audiences on the first one? Crispin Glover is what tested as very popular, so they brought him back for this. Did McGee just really love him? I loved him in the first movie, and I think that, yes, a lot no, of people No, no, I'm not, not, you know I'm a big Crispin Glover fan, and I'm not disparaging that whatsoever. I just don't know why he's here. No, they don't have a role for him. Why is he even here? Because people liked him in the first one. That's the only reason. Yeah. So they have to investigate where the rings are going, and they do this with, I kid you not, if you don't think Pink was, you know, Pink, she continues to have hit songs, but you know who's not around anymore? The Pussycat Dolls. But they're who the angels are dancing with up there on stage. Oh yeah, we're going to get another dance number. Huh, I didn't know that was Pussycat Dolls, and I don't care. Don't you wish this movie was good like the last one? Don't you? <laughs> I do, and I didn't even recommend that one. <laughs> So we get another whip scene, in case you liked that from the last one, and we're going to get some titillation where they whip off Cameron Diaz's top, all to steal some keys and a badge from somebody. Didn't they do this in the last film with the guy's eye where he had to look in the tuba? Mm-hmm. And then they had to get the other guy's glass or something? And it wasn't good, but it was better! Yeah, they're replaying a lot of beats. They also replay that joke where somebody tries to hit on Alex and every oh, yeah. time they open his mouth. No, no, not interested. Go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They get this stuff from the strip club and 
Seamus is now going to be the main bad guy for the rest of the film. Justin Thoreau, he actually carries himself with menace here. I believe him as this Irish heavy. I mean, he's a all right parody of an Irish heavy. Like, I wouldn't buy him as an actual, like, Irish mobster. But, yeah, I kind of like the look. He's got this punk look with the braces and, and all that. And yeah, just the over-the-top accent. He's a little bit soccer hooligan, which is somewhat appropriate. And he has the rings... And so we get the angels, and the writers were so pissed about this one. The angels, naked, get in a statue that Bosley delivers. What was that? Yeah, you see the statue coming in. I'm like, okay, well, that's obviously the angels. They break out, and they're naked? Why do they have to be naked in there? Boobs. You don't see any boobs. This is PG-13. I understand, but I think that this anything you guys don't really understand why they're doing it can be really summed up as boobs. Yet, according to the writers, that scene was supposed to end with them being like, well, what do we do? And Natalie will say, let's get plastered. And you think she means get drunk. No, they're getting plastered so that they can break in. But Big G cut that line, so this makes no sense. Are they supposed to be the actual, like, figures on that plaster wall or whatever they bring in? I thought they were hiding inside. Were they actually supposed to be disguised as the outside of it? I think so. I thought they were in it and broke out. Like This is a huge problem with this movie, and this is an underlying theme with this movie. It's like, when I think what's happened is the writers did one thing, and then McGee came and was like, no, 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 no. And I imagine he's some French asshole or something. No, he's all American. <laughs> no, he's American. I understand <laughs> that. But I just want to pretend he's a French asshole. Why does he go by McGee? I guess that's another podcast. Yeah. Well, he's like, no, 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 no. That makes no sense. And then he has to cut out parts of it. And then the rest of us are kind of like, and I don't understand this whatsoever. It's like you get the middle of the story and maybe like three sentences after that. And then you're just screwed and you got to figure out the rest of it. Yeah. If you watch them break out of the sculpture... Their bodies are in the exact pose of the sculpture. So I guess... So they were supposed to be the sculpture is what you're telling. This is blowing my mind. There was a whole movie I missed within this one. But the sculpture isn't naked. The sculpture has robes on. (laughs) Kind of in the face, maybe. Maybe a little in the hair. I don't know. Maybe it's a Groundhog Day ice sculpture type of likeness. But we get science because... They put the rings in with other rings? Yeah, they were just in a thing of rings. Thank God that they had all of those items in that warehouse for them to do this. Why would you take these very special rings and throw it in a drawer with a lot of other rings? Why do you have the rings? I don't get this. I guess I can say the action here is slightly more exciting than last time. Because there's no sky to oversaturate. <laughs> I mean, better than the last movie. They're not doing quite so much I'm floating in midair stuff. They kind of are. Yeah, it's bad. There's a lot of sideways flying. Like when you fly for like an explosion, you know, when you kind of are going up and out. They do a lot of like just straight horizontal. Physics are broken in this movie. That is one of my big complaints. Again, over the top action. Great. Love it. There's still got to be some kind of physics that go with that. This, yeah, they're just spinning at right angles when they're kicked. Like, none of it makes sense. The the way, oh boy, when they get shot by Demi Moore later and then like they just like shoot off in the weird angles. I'm pulling my hair out. I do like Justin Thoreau's action here, though. I mean, with the tattoos and everything. He's got a good look. He has a good look. And he also is very menacing with Dylan. I mean, when he gets her up against 
the box and he implies he's going to rape her and he punches her hard. And then after the fight, he walks out of the flames like Robert Patrick in Terminator 2. <laughs> no, and this is where my 12-year-old is screaming. She's like, is he a superhero? Does he have superpowers? <laughs> like she thought he might be a superhero at this point because, yeah, he just walks through those flames. Well, I have a problem with his character, first of all, and his relationship with Dylan because it seemed like they were boyfriend and girlfriend and one day while listening to John Bon Jovi, he was just compelled to shoot somebody. It was a hit for the mob that he worked for. Okay, again, wasn't in the movie, so I have to pretend it doesn't exist. This is EU that you're <laughs> telling me. <laughs> Why does he have such a hold over her? Like, he has a hold over her like an abusive boyfriend. Because she's in the bad boys and he was the worst. Yeah, he killed somebody. I mean... Look, I complimented, I couldn't believe, compliment this film for the bird and that they have a through line with the character arcs here. And, and that is her thing, is that she likes bad boys. Like, they found something to do with Dylan. Yeah, she only breaks his spell when they find someone even worse, the Thin Man. But he has a heart of gold, apparently. But this scene convinces Dylan because he says he's going to kill the angels just so he can hear them scream. She is going to run away. And now we get about 15 minutes of character moments where Alex's dad thinks she's a whore. <laughs> Which for this film is a character moment. And Natalie and Pete go to the Rydell High School reunion. Yeah, Robbie and Michelle's high school reunion in the middle of this, and she's going to yeah hide in a bathroom. Just these jokes. At Rydell High, no less. And uh, Cameron Diaz was the beaver, and what's his face? Luke Wilson was the cock. Get it? Yep. Ha ha! Yeah, Rydell High. For those who don't know their Greece, that is the high school from Greece and Greece 2. I love that you throw Grease 2 in there. That's why they have a choreographed dance number. All the people at the school took dance class. Yeah, another dance number in this film. McGarbage really liked his music videos. Yes, he did, but Cameron Diaz looks like she's having fun on screen. Her smile is infectious. When she is up there and she seems to be having a good time dancing, I can't not find enjoyment in these scenes especially since nobody's talking this movie's worse when people talk dance the whole time do fred astaire moves and i'm happy try to give a plot and you're failing but yes the plot continues because dylan goes to mexico i don't even know why they call out she goes down to mexico because she's there for about 30 seconds yeah some guy smacks her ass and then she's visited by jacqueline smith who did not bring her any kmart home goods i'm so shocked <laughs> This ties it into the TV show, right? It's all connected. If you looked very closely at the set here, it does show all of the old angels on the wall, the ones who didn't make the whole series, as well as some other actresses who they just kind of said were angels in the interim. But Jacqueline Smith came back. There were talks of having this be a full-blown thing. They were going to have Farah be the bartender and everything, but... They didn't have the money for it, so they got Jacqueline Smith. No, this film cost a ton of money. They had money for it. I don't know where else the money is. All right, well, just to let you know, this movie cost $120 million. That's a lot of money. Have you seen what's on the screen? Where is it? That's $25 million more than the first one. More! More! It should look better then. But according to the writers, they had less money for the production because Cameron Diaz had become a $20 million per movie star. So Cameron got 20. Drew Barrymore had become a bigger star. So Drew got 14. And even Lucy Liu got 4 million and McGarbage got 4 million. So your above the line costs there are about half your budget. 
So they had less money to make the movie because they spent more money just to get the angels back. But I have a question then. So wasn't this produced by Drew Barrymore? Yeah. Yeah, so she got points on the back end, too. Yeah, so she didn't give herself the highest salary or equal with Cameron? First of all, she and Cameron are really close, like have been for years. Lucy Liu isn't part of it, but if you follow Drew on Insta, she's with Cameron all the time. Do you follow Drew on Insta, Arnie? I might. But, I mean, you pay what people's salary demands, and at that point, Cameron was making $20 million a film. When I saw this in theaters, the only time I've seen it before... I thought it was nice to see Jacqueline Smith there and the continuity with the other angels. And I like how they backlit her. They lit her like an angel. It was a nice callback. Sure, it's fine. It's expected. I was surprised it didn't happen in the last film. And then somehow something Jacqueline Smith says about horoscopes is going to clue in Dylan that all of this is being done by Demi Moore's Madison Lee. Okay, so what you missed, which is ridiculous, is that at the hot dog stand, Dylan and Alex were talking about Madison Lee, about she solved some crime with the cosmetology and bedside astrologer. So Dylan comes back and just in time for the showdown at the observatory where Robert Patrick is revealed to be a traitor. He got the rings back. They figure this out because he actually doesn't have broken ribs. How much longer is Because I'm like, well, he's had time to heal. Like, is, is this like day after they got him out of Mongolia at the beginning of the film? Or is it a month? Like, I feel like enough time's passed that it's not as tender. Well, I guess, I mean, they take a few weeks to heal. You're looking at six to eight weeks healing time, depending on how bad it was. You wouldn't be able to catch keys like that in a short amount of time. But that's tipping them off, so they're going to do a stunt where Lucy Liu rides a skateboard next to a car, like, laying down and connects so that they can hack his phone call. Again, madness. They're, yeah, she gets stuck to it and can't disengage. So Bosley, Bosley, plan B, where he's going to walk some kid. These kids are already there. So it's not like they set this up where he was going to be a crossing guard. Like these kids regularly cross at this part of the road, which is in the middle of a, a hill, like a, a windy road. They walk across. There's not a school. There's not a sidewalk. <laughs> they walk across a hill that they're going to have to spelunk up. <laughs> to get to school or whatever. Look, you want to make a joke? Fine, but at least have some kind of real-world consistency. Not just, oh, we're just going to have a crosswalk to nowhere. It was like they were crossing a two-lane freeway for no apparent reason. But wait, we need to back up for a second, because this was the same plot as the first movie. The exact same thing happened to them. They thought they were solving one crime and that their client was the good guy, and then they find out as soon as they solve it, that they were tricked again. Is this how they operate? You know, if this movie was good, I'd call it consistency and callbacks. <laughs> but because this movie's shit, I'm just going to call it lazy and move on. <laughs> and I'm supposed to be dazzled. I mean, Demi Moore is here. She's looking good. I mean, I saw striptease in theater. She looks better here than she did in that thing. I think she's giving a better performance than I'd seen her give in quite some time. Maybe all the way back to A Few Good Men. So when she shoots Robert Patrick and comes out, again, we just had way too many middlemen in this. I would have liked more, more. <laughs> I see what you did there. And her goal is to what? Just sell this stuff. Like, she's not going to use it to get revenge. Like, I can't even buy her that super evil. She just, she wants to get rich. Get those dollar, dollar bills, y'all. 
she hasn't been an angel for quite some time. I mean, Demi Moore at this point would be 41 years old. Do you get kicked out of the Angels when you reach like 35? Is it like Menudo? You know what the writer said is she still could have been an angel if she hadn't been fired for recklessness. So you can be a 40-year-old angel. But she was an angel a while back. How long has she been sitting around plotting this one thing? It's not like she's a mob boss. She didn't come back as the kingpin of crime. She just stole two rings. But she shoots the angels because in my time, angels used guns. And that's true. In the TV series, they had guns. Drew Barrymore, very anti-gun, mandated angels would not use guns in this movie or her series. And we see Madison has golden guns. So she killed Bruce. She's behind everything. She's going to shoot them. And Jacob's going to pull his hair out. Yeah, no, it's awful looking. Again, maybe it's the sky. Maybe it's just, again, Birdemic level special effects here. The way they are cut and pasted to, like, they get shot and, like, spin around in a different angle. and But they got those bulletproof bras because it's the women's. Well, they mentioned that that was a throwback to something at the beginning because Bosley was criticizing their spending, the Kevlar vests. $5,000 on Kevlar vests, and the angels were like, we need those, and now you see why they need them. Meanwhile, for reasons, Madison is going to go have a conference call with Charlie. At least they don't repeat the beat from last one where her true goal is to kill Charlie. This time, she's going to be satisfied just shooting a speaker box. And they even, like, remember when the angels walked up in the last film to their headquarters and it blows up and they go flying back. They're going to repeat that whole thing, except it's just like their car this time after they reveal that they had the Kevlar bras on. And, yeah, they go to get in the car and they get blown back and they're all twisted up again. They make some, I don't know, quippy line. I think she's trying to kill us. But this is where Natalie has an epiphany. They'd heard all these codes about where to meet. Well, where is all of this? Hollywood Walk of Fame. That's where the ring sale is taking place. So they're going to put on masks right out of Mission Impossible in order to impersonate the crime bosses. And it's the same night as the Maximum Extreme 2 premiere, which that is the Mission Impossible 2 artwork. Like, they just put Matt LeBlanc. It's the same layout, same color, probably the same font. It is the same font. Instead of MI2, they put ME2. Yes, <laughs> they are so trolling John Woo for shitting on their wire foo work. And John Fu just laughs all the way out of this movie. <sighs> yeah, I like didn't like that one, but man, I'm pining to watch MI2 again. <laughs> but I knew that something was up because, yeah, you get all these different gangs coming in. And we see O'Grady, like there's this bellhop there. And he looks, I'm like, did he just look at his ass? I'm like, oh, okay, that's got to be Drew Barrymore. They're doing the mask thing. Because why else would he look at his ass? Like, it's it's such a weird shot. I'm like, that better pay off, because that was that is bizarre that he's checking out the ass. McG wanted to go even further and do, like, a heart-shaped zoom-in on the ass to really point out so you had no question about what he's looking at. But he knows Helen's ass. <laughs> That's the joke. So he's going to know to go to the correct roof while all the others are arrested by Robert Forrester on the wrong roof. And finally, we get a showdown, and somehow Crispin Glover knows to show up, too. I guess he's hacking somebody's email. Or he's just like, yeah, in love with Dylan at this point and stalking her. 
action on the roof is not bad. I really feel Cameron Diaz being the biggest star here is given the biggest role in all these action scenes. She's the one who gets Demi Moore, who's the big villain. It's obvious who the stars are. Yeah, Cameron Diaz is going to fight Demi Moore. Drew Barrymore, she's going to have her fight. I don't know what Lucy Liu's doing at this final fight. I guess she's fighting someone in the background. There's henchmen, and she fights the Thin Man until she realizes the Thin Man's on her side. But then, all right, if I was even on the fence with this movie, and I'm not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but they killed the Thin Man again. They kill Seamus off, as I described. So what does Madison Lee decide to do? She flies. She leaps off the roof. That squirrel suit. And flies. It's a bit much. It's it's a little overdone. Yeah. And Bosley gets his heroic moment with a baseballing of a grenade. What's worse than, yeah, the, the hitting the grenade and the squirrel suit is the angels doing their Tarzan swing. Look. I know that part of Hollywood. There ain't no huge skyscrapers just Batman around swinging from building to building. Like, (laughs) it's so (laughs) stupid. I hate it. Just to kind of jump to the very end, though. She gets Natalie as hostage and then gums her cheek or something. Yeah, there's like a lot of, I think that's supposed to be some sort of subtle sexual tension, perhaps for the men in the audience. Because there was a part at the beginning where they meet on the beach and she leans in like and you think she's like going to kiss her or something. And she's like, ah, the molar mic, huh? Ah, yeah. Well, here she just kind of, it's not a kiss and it's not like a lick like the guard does to Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. It's just kind of a fish mouth thing. But Nat has something Madison will never have. Friends. They're going to show up and kick her through a floor. And I swear to God. I watched this scene twice. Why does it blow up? Yes, I have no idea except for the commentary. She knocks a pipe. Yeah, I noticed the pipe. It's a gas pipe. So when she shoots her gun, she ignites the gas. What ignites the gas from the gun? Just the little spark of the hammer hitting the pin? Truthfully, if you have a natural gas leak in your house, an old telephone, just the physical ringer, the hammer hitting the metal on the bell, could blow up a house. Okay, this was a fresh leak, though. This, there was no time for gas to fill up this opera house or wherever they're at. She explodes because everything has to explode. It's McGarbage rule number one. It's maximum extreme. He makes fun of it, and yet... He is making the movie that he is parodying being on screen. Yeah, no, I said last time, not another Mission Impossible movie, not another spy movie, you know, going off of not another team movie, all those things. I take it back. That title is for this film. Like, oh boy, it's bad. But we're going to wrap up very quickly. Once Madison's dead, we're going to go to Jason's movie premiere. For reasons, Alex gets back together with him. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they miss each other. But this turns into like this weird five-minute-long strange love fest of the angels just laughing and giggling. Was Natalie like afraid of being proposed to? She seems very relieved that Luke Wilson's character just bought her a dog. I think it was like the fear of commitment. And then, you know, Dylan was worried she'd leave the agency if she did get married. So... I think it's like a new relationship. She wasn't sure how serious it is. Although I think the dog's pretty serious. I mean, that's a commitment for like 18 years or so. I'm thinking that he was moving too fast, maybe. And it was shocking her. Getting a dog, though, that is like getting a small child. No, you break up with that person. You don't just go and buy a dog and say, hey, we're going to raise this together without consulting the person. True, but 
apparently he knew her well enough to know that she would like a puppy. I'm just upset we don't get to see the puppy. But it is just a puppy. She's not leaving. The three girls are together, but they will never be again, kind of. They'll never be again for me, because whatever the kind of is, I haven't seen it. So, Marjorie, Jacob, do you recommend Charlie's Angels Full Throttle? Marjorie. This movie is a mess. I dare say it's hot garbage, because... Hot Mick garbage. (laughs) It just doesn't make any sense. And it's... What they did for the criminal was the same as what they did in the first one. And it makes me realize that perhaps the angels just aren't all that bright. And it's just kind of like, oops, our client was the criminal again. So, I mean, they try to act like they're smart. Like, you know, Natalie's tasting bird shit to tell you where the bird came from and really getting all up in that. And, you know, when they have the rings and they're trying to group figure out how they can figure out how the rings are and thank god they have a bottle of champagne and a container to put all this stuff in and other rings i feel like it lost what little intelligence it had and it just became like this weird movie that was darker than it needed to be but unsatisfyingly dark if that makes sense but yeah it's just a not recommend you can kind of skip this unless you've really got it for one of the actresses jacob You know, three or four times throughout this film, they play Prodigy's Firestarter, and I'm going to tap into that because I want to burn this mother down. You know what, George Lucas? Don't use your four billion you got from Disney to go hunt down every copy of the holiday special and erase it out of existence. Do us all a favor. Do humanity a favor. Use that four billion to hunt this film down and erase it from existence. This film is bad. It hurt me. (laughs) It did. It hurt my, my throat because I was screaming so much throughout it. It is garbage to the next level. Like, McGee cubed. It is so awful. The the effects, the humor is non-existent. You know, last time I said, maybe that film works as a USA Up All Night film. You know what? Bikini Car Wash and Bikini Beach and, I don't know, Bikini Restaurant, whatever bikini movies that were on USA, they had more style, more uh, consistent tone, better jokes, better cinematography, everything better than this film. And this had 120 million. I don't care what the breakdown for these actors were. When Adam Sandler spends $80 million to make Grown Ups 2, well, yeah, because he paid for all his friends that he's been friends with for 20 years to go on vacation, and they just filmed it. Like, I know where that money went. Drew Barrymore, she needs to be investigated, go through her emails, lock her up because she is laundering money for the mob. There's no way. This isn't, she's not been friends with Lucy Lou for 20 years and they're just having a good time and throwing money at it. Maybe she's got a thing with Cameron Diaz, but no, this isn't a vacation for all that. There's just money is being laundered for the mob and I want this film investigated. I want to see its tax returns. Garbage. Strongest did not recommends. Yeah, I don't know what more to say about this film, but I can't help but quote Shakespeare here. It's a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury and explosions, and signifying nothing. <laughs> this movie is abysmal, and I gotta blame McGarbage. Everything else seems to be about the same, but McGarbage was involved earlier, he had more control... This is bad. This is really bad. I did some research. Why wasn't there a part three? I didn't actually need to do the research. I should have just watched part two. It's pretty (laughs) self-evident. I couldn't give this a bigger red arrow unless McGee made it blow up. You could use our red arrows to light one of the scenes in this film. If they did, it was the crime scene investigation one. Yes. But I said kind of, 
Would you believe it actually can get worse than this? Uh, no. How? You should all go and play the Charlie's Angels video game for GameCube and PlayStation 2. I got emulators. I could, but I'm not going to. This actually was rated the absolute worst title ever released for GameCube. That doesn't surprise me because this film did get a bunch of Razzie nominations. I mean, not enough. It didn't win enough of them. They should have won so many Raspberry nominations. You couldn't put Raspberry Jam on your toast because Raspberry ceased to exist. Like, (laughs) oh, it's awful. They did get Lucy Liu, Cameron Diaz, and Drew Barrymore for voices here. And I did play a little of it. I got to complain. A lot of the controls don't even work. Like, you try to do certain moves. They just don't work. That's just the style. That's just McGee's style. And the graphics, I mean, PlayStation 2, it's not even Uncanny Valley. It's just creepy Cameron Diaz and them. But you do get to fight the Thin Man and fight other poorly rendered people. It looks almost as real as the motorbike trace in this. So, yeah, that is considered to be the worst game possibly ever. So... It could be worse. But yeah, I wondered why didn't they make a third one? This one made less in the States. It cost a lot more to make. By the time all was said and done, the studio was thinking they did not want to just go back and spend even more on people's salaries to do a three. McG. Oh, McG. Yeah, bigger and better things to go on to, like Terminator. He had that to ruin. McG was interviewed a few years later, working on We Are Marshall. And he said... His days of directing bombastic action flicks are over. And, quote, there's no more sequels in my future. (laughs) The article says he was tired of being labeled another stereotypical music video director with the trademark one-word name and knack for crafting spectacular action but little substance. He gave himself a one-word name! He got no one to blame but himself! Yeah, I know. I mean, if I call myself Douche McFadden, (laughs) then I complain that people call me a douche. It's my fault. Yeah, I... Wow. What's wrong with him? Is he a faulty AI and, and isn't human? <laughs> like He says, I'm not trying to say I'm only making Merchant Ivory pictures for the rest of my life. No, you're never going to make one of those. But he was doing We Are Marshall. Quote, I'm only interested in telling dramatic, serious stories. What's he done recently? Things I haven't heard of. He did We Are Marshall, which I have not seen, but I hear good things about. Okay, it must have been because of the actors or the writers or cinematographers. But then came Terminator Salvation. Nope. Garbage. That was so bad. And then I looked at what he's directed since then. He continues to work on stuff that I don't think I've heard of. He did, oh my God, I did see this piece of shit movie too. In 2012, the Reese Witherspoon, Chris Pine, Tom Hardy film, This Means War, where they are two spies fighting over her. Oh boy. It was awful. And then Three Days to Kill, The Babysitter, Rim of the World. If it's from garbage, I think it's the Toilet Rim of the World. Wait, check this out. He produced, remember that little Stephen King adaptation, Mercy? He's a producer on that. Oh, boy. Well, there were a lot of names on that. He has been successful in production, mostly in TV. He did The O.C. He did Chuck. He did Supernatural. Chuck was like a music video, though. Somewhat. Nah, it was. And then he did Lethal Weapon, which if you heard that bonus review, I actually really liked the action in Lethal Weapon and thought McGee brought something to that. But 
I am so glad next week we're not going to be talking about Charlie's Angels 3, but instead we're going to be talking about a reboot continuation. But there was another. They kept trying to get Charlie's Angels off the ground again after full throttle, and they succeeded in 2011. Charlie's Angels returned to network television. Oh, I remember hearing about this. Did it actually come out? <laughs> The fact that you ask that is very telling, yeah. Jacob. <laughs> it did. It was on ABC from the creators of Smallville. 13 episodes were ordered. After the fourth episode, ABC announced they canceled the series. <laughs> did they finish like showing all 13? 13 were ordered. Eight were made. Oh, okay. They aired seven of them. Wow, they didn't even like crap one more out. It was aired by AXN in Poland in late December. <laughs> I did watch it, and it was not at all like these movies. It went back, I think, to the original Charlie's Angels premise of being more sleuthing, less action, compared to some of the other TV shows I've watched for now playing lately, like Lethal Weapon and... Other stuff I just watched for fun, like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Chuck, this was not a stunt-driven show. In fact, anytime there was action, it was pretty bad. It's supposed to be three women sleuthing and detecting and following a trail, and it's a change. They weren't three women in law enforcement. They were three women who got in trouble. One was a cat burglar, one was a police officer who took payola, and one was a car thief or a motorcycle thief. And the three together were being redeemed by Charlie and earning their wings. I actually think it wasn't bad. The angels used guns again, unlike Drew's angels, but the show had no compelling reason to watch. The stars, uh, actresses I know from other stuff... The main one, the blonde, Rachel Taylor, she was the hacker in the first Bayformers movie and went on to be Trish Walker and Jessica Jones. Then we had Minka Kelly, she was the motorcyclist. She's now on the new Titan show on DC. And the third angel ended up playing the FBI agents in the movie Peppermint, if you saw that. I don't think anyone did. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't last and I don't miss it. I think the big problem was, much like the old series, it was not about the angels it was about the mystery but it wasn't like murder she wrote or monk where you could figure out the mystery you're literally just watching three very attractive women and bosley was a hunk in this too he was a latin 31 year old why do you know his age i looked it up oh because i thought it was the youngest bosley ever and i'm right i think you gave entirely too much time before you noped out of there well it I just ended up not caring about anything because I couldn't figure out the mystery and the client of the week never was enthralling. There was a African prince who was... Did he want to take my money? <laughs> he was not Nigerian. Oh, okay. But his father was killed and he was ascending to the throne and there were hitmen after him. And then the, he suddenly came into a large sum of money, but he wasn't able to deposit it in his own country and he needed their help. <laughs> Is that the plot? Because that's a chain email. Actually, that was the last episode, and I decided I wasn't even going to finish it. So those were fallen angels, but will the angels fly high? Well, we're going to find out. Not next week, or the week after, or the week after that, but in five weeks, <laughs> we will be reviewing Charlie's Angels 2019. We have five new releases in a row. Before we get to the new Charlie's Angels, Doom Annihilation. You should both be praying to your guardian angels because neither of you have to watch that one. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe Full Throttle looks really good at all of a sudden. 
And then, Marjorie, you'll be back on the show for two weeks in a row. First, you, me, and Brock reviewing Three from Hell. Another zombie film. Is that, are you just describing the three of you? <laughs> <laughs> that very well could be. It's been a long time since we've visited Rob Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses series, but part three is coming out. Then the week after that, Marjorie Stewart and I face Terminator Dark Fate, and however it is, I'm just going to say right now, it's got to be better than Salvation. Yeah. Then the week after that, Jacob, you, I, and Stuart watch some faux Kubrick with Dr. Sleep. And then the week after that, we get to Charlie's Angels. <laughs> hey, we're living up to that now playing. <laughs> so stick with us for a lot of new releases, and then we'll bring this series to a close. Meanwhile, this Friday, if you're a silver level donor, we are starting another retrospective. Zombieland. We just finished the I Am Legend trilogy. We reviewed that Will Smith movie last Friday. We're doing Zombieland because this Friday, Zombieland 2 Double Tap opens, and the long trailer for that really has me kind of excited. It looks like it could be as good as the original. Yeah, I'm excited for that one too. I mean, how many Oscar nominees and winners are in this film now? I do love that trailer, yeah, calling everyone out. If you want to support our show and all the weekend of release shows we have coming out, Go to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. You can get the silver level where you get all five bonus podcasts for just $10 and every penny supports Now Playing. Jacob, Marjorie, thank you for going full throttle with me because this is something no one should have to suffer through alone. Until next time, all the angels are going to heaven. Well done, angels. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. I hope to work with you ladies again, but not too soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Outstanding, angels. If you enjoyed this show, you can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. Charlie, I've really enjoyed working on this assignment. <laughs> <laughs> and I eagerly anticipate returning to work. Want to hear more reviews like this one? You can find hundreds of other movie reviews at our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Isn't it amazing how much information you can learn off of the internet? In our archives section are over 800 reviews. Listen to our hosts discuss horror, sci-fi, comedy, action, drama, and more. How'd that feel? Because it looked like it felt really good. That felt nice. Plus, you can hear reviews of every movie based on Marvel or DC Comics. You know how superheroes have these secret identities? You're an action star. I get a lot of action. A new, totally free movie review podcast is posted every Tuesday. So come back each week for another new show. Daddy, I wish you could watch us work. You'd be so proud. I mean, you can't even imagine the positions to get ourselves into. <laughs> when I get back, I'm going to give you... Blow by blow. Now playing relies on listener support to keep operating. Sabrina, why can't I ever come out ahead of the bank? <laughs> I think you have to put in more than you take out. Ah, is that the trick? Well, it helps. You can support Now Playing by joining our Podbean crowdfunding campaign. Backers can get early access to reviews, unedited reviews, exclusive shows not available anywhere else, and more. Details are at nowplayingpatron.com. You know, I signed that release waiver, so you can just feel free to stick things in my slot. 
at our Podbean site. You can also support the show by listening to any of our donation shows. Series like Planet of the Apes, Jurassic Park, Phantasm, Jaws, and others are available for a small, one-time contribution. I just got so excited. When it's big like that, I just love to ride it hard and rough. The way I was getting pounded, I'm going to be wet for hours. You can also donate to us directly on PayPal. Details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I got to say, Helen, I've never wanted you more. Always wanting what you can't have. Want 375 more Now Playing reviews? Get the Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Arnie, Stewart, Jacob, and Marjorie reviewed 125 different movies, each getting three recommends or not recommends. The ebook is available now, and the print book will be shipping soon. Find details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash book. I see my brother ain't checked the books in quite a while, huh? We have a book. You can also follow Now Playing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. There, the hosts post new episode announcements, movie reviews, and contests, where you can win movies and soundtracks. Also, subscribe to us on YouTube for original video content. I have something you'll never have. Watch that. Friends. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I'm sorry, friend of Starfish, but there's only one captain of this love boat. That captain is me. Associate produced by Jason Latham. Hey, I like that guy. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Don't worry, he's going to wake up. Unless he doesn't. Now Playing credits read by Brock. I can't tell you how many hours I've spent lying in bed trying to put a face and a body on that voice. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. He said what? Over my dead body. I can accept those terms. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. You're very good with your hands. I can use someone like you on my staff. Thanks for the offer, but my hands aren't going anywhere near your staff. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You crazy bastard! I think you mean crazy bitch. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of, and may not be used without the express written permission of, Venganza Media Incorporated. Santa stuff. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2019, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. And that's kicking your ass. up shit for IMDb trivia. Tom Hanks was considered for the role of Seamus O'Grady. No, he wasn't! <laughs> Who the hell is gonna have Tom Hanks play that? In 2003? Come on, no way. More importantly, I believe it says Tom Hanks were considered. Yeah, this it does. <laughs> were considered. So it should have been Tom's Hanks were considered? I'm confused by that.
many Tom Hanks were considered for the role. <laughs> Not the Tom Hanks, but many other people with that name. <laughs> Shit like this makes me want to actually sign up for an IMDb account now. I actually signed up for one just to thumbs down certain things. <laughs> yeah. My favorite is when they attack like historical inaccuracies. They're like, this bumper on this car wasn't until 1957, and this film is 1955. I'm like, you people are way too into your uh, stuff. Apparently, I while listening to the uh, commentary for Charlie's Angels, learned that if you watch Patton, you can see jet trails in the sky, but there were no jets during <laughs> World War II. Well, I don't know if you've seen Warm Bodies, but uh, at one point they play a record with the Bob Dylan song, and they're like, that is the first track on the actual record, that is the second to last track on the B-side, so the needle should have been dropped approximately three inches from the center. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is about zombies falling in love with humans and being cured. I don't think they care how uh, Bob Dylan sequenced his records. This was legit my favorite part. Like when that bird, I'm like, good acting by the bird. Best actor in this film. <laughs> feel bad that bird's probably dead now. I feel bad that McGarbage is still alive. <laughs> oh, I feel you're you're really you're really tapping into your Bill Murray here. <laughs> Dylan with different angels, you know, we'll get the Olsen twins. I, this may be the last film they ever showed up in. I don't know what happened to them after they killed Heath Ledger. <laughs> I, oh my God, I said the same thing to Arnie when we were watching it. Oh my God. She actually did. I said that same thing. I said that couldn't be the Olsen twins. They're not skeletal. <laughs> yeah, they still had some meat on their bones, but. And I said it was just before one of them killed Heath Ledger. Doesn't Madison Lee sound like a porn name? Is yes. It, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I just think of Dolly Madison. I want. I want to eat some uh, cream-filled cupcakes. Yeah. See, and I was thinking nobody does it like Madison Lee. <laughs> so you're thinking yeah. of snack cakes, also? Yes, just different ones. We went different. I ways. think it's whatever side of the Mississippi you're on, perhaps. <laughs> That's probably the joke. Hey, we took Sarah Lee and Dolly Madison and combined it. Like it doesn't have anything to do with the character, but it's a joke. <laughs> Demi Moore, at this point, would be 41 years old. Oh, God, she's younger than me now. Oh, God, I'm old. I can't be an angel anymore. <laughs> you could be a Bosley, though. Uh, what time do you get kicked out of the angels? The movie had its flaws. I'll definitely say that. That it was released. That's its flaws. <laughs> But I think I'm going to go weak recommend. No, okay, you're punking us. Bring out Ashton and Demi Moore. You're punking <laughs> us. <laughs>